you ever been told to mind your own business? Have you? You remember those fights when you were children? When you would tell a sibling, well, why don't you mind your own business? And you could really say it with attitude. I was visiting several years back over here off of Williamsburg Road. And we were doing door-to-door visitation. Men came to the door, answered the door, came and and I told him who it was, where I was from, gave him a gospel track, invited him to church. And uh, I said, well, before I leave, can I ask you a question? He said, yeah. He had been very polite. He'd been okay, but not overly polite. I said, well, I'd like to ask you a question before I leave, if you let me. He said, well, that'd be okay. And I said, let me ask you, if you were to die today, do you know that you'd go to heaven? And he looked me square in the eye and said, mind your own business. Now, the flesh in me wanted to say, well, I am, because this is what the Lord told me to do, but I didn't say it. Uh, I behaved myself, but that's the first time, not the only time, but it was the first time anybody ever did. I have a lot of folks that will say, well, religion is a personal thing. Now, the Lord Jesus, not in a rude way, a caring way, but in so many words, this is what he tells the disciples tonight in our passage of Scripture. I want you to stand if you would, and let's read for a few moments from the book of Acts chapter 1. It says, When they were therefore come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Paraphrase that for me. (laughs) Mind your own business. It's not for you to know. Mind your own business. But he doesn't say it rudely. And in the next verse, we've heard this multiple times from missionaries and other messages. He does tell them their business. Look at verse number 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Father, bless us now as we study your word to your people. Strengthen us by it. Prepare us for the week that's ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated if you would, please. Acts opens with an account, really, of what I would call a 40-day Bible conference. There's about a 40-day period of time in which the Lord Jesus is preparing for his departure from the earth, his ascension back to heaven. And there are a group of men who he is doing his best to prepare for the next phase of ministry. He's not going to be there in person for that phase of ministry. So he is preparing them to fulfill their role in that next phase. And he has talked to them about and they have heard about the subject of the kingdom of God and the importance of that theme in Scripture. Jesus showed his disciples how they are going to operate in this kingdom, but in a few moments we'll talk about this. It's not the kingdom that they expected. He is telling them, he's preparing them, they're going to enter what history would soon call the church age. The disciples had some things wrong. They're going to be in a new era, what we would call today a new age. 
And by that new age, it means this. Jesus is going to return to heaven. So this is a new thing to them after having known him. And then the second part of it that is new, when he leaves, and he has told them very clearly that when he leaves, the Father will send another comforter. He says, it's imperative that I go away because if I don't go, he can't come. What has happened now for these years of earthly ministry, the disciples have walked side by side with Christ. They could reach out and touch him. They could speak with him. He could address them. He could teach them. A new age is coming, and rather than walking with him, God was going to live in them through God the Holy Spirit. And so his return to heaven was new, and this thing of the filling of the Holy Spirit is going to be new to them. Verse 5, he called it being baptized in the Holy Ghost. And it is talking about this is not going to happen. This is going to be not many days thin. Now, I said earlier that the disciples had some wrong thinking. The wrong thinking was this. They thought that when Jesus spoke of his kingdom, that he was going to come in and do what we'd like to do with our government. Clean it up. Cast out the devils and bring in righteousness. They thought that he was going to come in and with a military might was going to reset things as they were supposed to be. But that's not what the Lord Jesus was going to do. In the book of Luke chapter 22, verse 29 and 30, it says this, I appoint unto you a kingdom as my father appointed unto me that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, as students of the Old Testament, they were familiar with the concept of the Spirit coming upon people. I mentioned that this morning in one of the messages of the morning hours. In particular, Samson, when the Spirit moved on him at times. They had read in the Old Testament and they knew that Moses, that the Spirit of God came upon him and used him at times, and the Spirit, the the moving, the coming and going. They knew that with Joshua that had happened. They knew that with the judges there were some supernatural things that happened only by the presence of the Holy Spirit. But in those days, in that time, there was not the filling and the continual occupancy of the Holy Spirit. There were visions, there were appearances, there were communications. Now, since they would be immersed or baptized in the Spirit, they're going to receive a divine enablement. Now, here's the question. Would the kingdom soon be restored to Israel? That was their question. Now, notice what the Lord Jesus said. It's not for you to know. There are some things that we just are not going to know. One of the areas, and it's leading to this in the questions that they're asking, they're wanting to know about the setup of this kingdom. And the Lord Jesus, in an abbreviated fashion, tells them, that's not your business. You, You take care of your business. Now, notice it talks about in the text the times and the seasons not being our business. Christians have always been fascinated with prophecy. I have an interest in prophecy. 
But I understand this. There's a lot of things of prophecy that are not my business. I can take you to people. I can show you preachers that are on television who their fame is built on their prophecies. I can show you men today who have some very red faces because their ministries are built on their prophecies. The one who prophesied that the Lord would return in 1976. The one who wrote a book that said the Lord would return in 1984. And those who believed that when the midnight hour hit and we turned into the new millennial, that the Lord was going to come then. I don't think the Lord came back at that time because Christians had spent too much money on spam and beans. Because we thought the world would come to, to an end. Millions of dollars have been taken in by those who claim to have superior knowledge when it comes to the subject of prophecy. What the disciples are really asking to the Lord Jesus is when is your kingdom going to be set up? When are you going to take over? Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 and 18, there's a description given of the rapture of the saints. And then in chapter 5, Paul begins with these words. And listen to this. But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. Does that mean they knew it all? There's no need for me to write to you about the times and the seasons and about the prophecies. But then he gives the reason why there's no reason for him to write. He says, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. I will tell you this about prophecy and the end and the rapture. It is going to be at an unexpected time. And I don't mean by the lost. Realize this about the lost. They don't expect him to come. The lack of expectation, I think, is going to be on the part of Christians. But know this, that the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be also ready. For in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. And this is exactly what Jesus said. And I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. And I want to show you the significance. We're going to get to, okay, if we're supposed to mind our own business, what is our business? We'll get to that. There'll be three quick things on what our business is. But again, the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter number 24 and come down to verse 43, if you would, please. But of that day and hour knoweth no man. Know not the angels of heaven. Why would we ever think if the angels don't know, we would know? The Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. 
Whereas in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day of Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also be the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, and one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, and one shall be taken, and one left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour the Lord doth come. It's giving us the illustration of the flood. For 120 years, Noah simply stood and preached the truth. And he said, the flood is coming. Don't you think that for they, what they had heard 120 years, they sort of grew accustomed to it. Oh, here comes that nut again. Here comes that weird man that's building that huge thing out in the backyard. And they just became accustomed to it. And they went about their day and their way. I'm coming. The Lord Jesus said that he's going to return. And he didn't say when. I can't cover that passage of scripture without thinking of one of dad and I believe Brother Crane's professors in college by the name of Jim Anderson was preaching on the rapture. And he lost his train of thought. And he was leaning out over the pulpit and he said, if I could, I got to get my train of thought. I just got to, I've got to, maybe if I repeat this. And so he repeated it as a preacher often would. And he said, I'm coming. And he did it again. I'm coming. And the thought still hadn't come back. And he said, I'm coming. And he got a little too close to the edge of the platform and he fell off. And he looked at the woman on the front row and he looked up at her and said, I'm sorry. Cause he fell on her. And he looked up at her and he said, I am so sorry. She said, well, I should have moved. You told me three times you were coming. <laughs> now, whether that happened or not, that's the story he told. We have read the Bible multiple times. We say we believe that he's returning. Do we really believe it? Do we really, do we really expect it? And we say so often, what you believe will affect your behavior. So you tell me tonight, if we believe he's going to return, how did that belief affect our behavior in the last seven days? The verse we just read had to do with the watchman. I want you to turn, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. And let's look at verse 3 through 6. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3, begins with this. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye brethren, now let me ask you this and you give me the answer verbally. Who is the book of Thessalonians written to? The lost or the church? Okay, so let's get this right. As we read this, it's being written to Christian people. But ye brethren are not in darkness, and that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are the children of light, the children of day, and not of the night. 
nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. What does that say? If we really believe that he's going to return, it really doesn't make any difference when that is. And Jesus has said, it's not your worry, it's not your business. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, there's a reference to verse 1. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and this talks about our gathering unto him, that's the rapture. Then it goes on to warn against false teaching, verse 2 and 3. The day of Christ is at hand. Then it goes on to talk about that day, which is the day of the Lord, will not come, and it uses this phrase, with what withholdeth he uh, taken out of the way. Now, let me ask you this. Right now, what is it that is holding up the tribulation period? Don't answer out loud. Just think it through. You are. We are. What is holding up the tribulation right now is the rapture has to come before the tribulation can start. So we, the saved people... Possessing the Holy Spirit of God are what's holding up the day of the Lord. Now, tribulation can only happen after the departure of what hinders it. So prophecy is only going to be furthered and fulfilled when we are gone. The Bible calls us the salt of the earth. It calls us the light of the world. Now, it's not for us to know. Jesus has told the disciples that. Listen, and he's telling them as kindly as he can. It's not for you to know when this kingdom will be set up. When I am going to come back and I am going to take over military and I am going to take over the politics and the authority and when I rule and reign, it's not for you to know. That's none of your business. It's God's business alone. Now, the whole scenario that will bring this kingdom of Christ will begin when the Father looks at the Son and says this, it's time. So I want us to look for just a few more minutes in Acts chapter 1. If Jesus says in a kind and polite manner, mind your business, He's not being sarcastic. He says, this is not your business. Mind your business. Then let's look at three things. What is our business? If we know he's going to return, and we believe that, then the business changes our behavior. On the Mount of Olives, just before his ascension, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons. But notice verse 8. It contains all three things. But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me. And then the location. Both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And unto the other most parts of the earth. So the timing of the Lord's come. Is not our business. But our part is in the program. What we have to do is get out of the planning committee 
and be active workers in the production crew. So what is our business? Threefold. Number one, here it is. To be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now at Pentecost, they, those that were there were indwelt. This is the new thing. The Holy Spirit was going to come. And from thence forward, every time someone received Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within his soul, God with us. The Holy Spirit lives within us. Our business is to be filled. Now understand this about the business of being filled with the Holy Spirit. What a privilege. What a privilege it is. We'd like to stop and talk about privilege for a while. We live in a world that seems to be filled with those who think privilege and entitlement. I'm not talking about privilege slash entitlement. It should thrill us that every moment of every day we possess the Holy Spirit. What a privilege. We don't have to wait till a certain time and a certain place. It's not the Holy Spirit is with us when we sit in the pews of the church house. And lo, I am with you when? Always. Even unto the end of the earth. It is a privilege, but understand this. Not only is it a privilege, it is our duty. It's our privilege to be filled with the Spirit, but it's also our duty to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We are filled with the Holy Spirit when we are in absolute obedience. A number of years ago, one of the young ladies in the youth department turned 16. Amazing thing happens. You get a driver's license. And her parents bought a little used car for her. Her dad called me one day and he said, I thought you'd get a kick out of this. He said, we bought the car for her. We filled it up with gas, changed the oil. We had everything serviced. He said, she's had it about a week and a half. And he said, she called me a little while ago and said, Dad, you've got to come help me. I'm broken down. He said he got out and started making his way there. He said, what could have gone wrong with that car? I sure hope I haven't bought a car that's going to give us all these. The whole way there, he's rehearsing in his mind. Is it the alternator? Is it this? Is it this? He said, I got there by the roadside. I sat down in the car. I turned the key. And it would sputter. He said, I knew it was firing. And I looked at the gas gauge. And he said, Donnie, it was below empty. He said, I don't mean just on E. It was below E. And he said, I looked at her with the most puzzled look on my face. And he said, when is the last time you put gas in the car? And he said, she looked back at me square in the eye and said, gas? I have to put gas in it? 
empty. Now, my family will tell you this. My wife oftentimes is nervous. I have been known to push the envelope. Because on my vehicle, it's got a thing, distance to empty. That was a foolish thing for them to put on my vehicle. You say, when do you buy gas? When I see the price go down. My wife has told me multiple times in my vehicle, I am not walking. I said, I know you can't walk and push at the same time. <laughs> I, I'm just being honest with you. I, I, I drive around a lot of time with a quarter tank. I don't know that I'm going to do that very much anymore. We were in Colorado in January going up to Wyoming. And this is the honest truth. We drove on roads in Colorado for an hour and 45 minutes. And we never saw a gas station. Never. We got back in that evening and I asked this lady that was there, I said, what do people do? <laughs> what I should have said is, what do people like me do? Because I'm in a rental car, and you know you want to return the rental car if you've bought that tank of gas at the beginning, you want to return it on below E. Fortunately, I had not done this trip that way. I said, what do people do? We drove an hour and 45 minutes out and an hour and 45 minutes back, and we didn't pass one gas station. What do people do? She said, people carry food and water and blankets and an extra five gallons of gas in their car with them because they know that. And I said, well, I didn't see any highway signs that tell tourists that. Tell people that don't live around here that. And she said, oh, there's a lot of people that run out. I said, what do they do? And she said, they sit and wait. And there are times when they sit and wait for hours. Well, I'm not telling you all of this for. Because not only is it a privilege to be filled with the Spirit, it's our duty to be filled. This young girl with the car. She had no power. That ca a car without gas is useless. It's powerless. Fast forward that. You never know how long you have to go between. I saw some signs out on one of the highways that we were on just outside of, of Wyoming, and it told you how far to the next gas station. What it said, should have said was this, you better stop here. In our spiritual lives, listen, we never know what's going to happen. My wife told me several years ago, we were coming back from Crown College in Knoxville. And she said, I, I, I need to go to the restroom, we need to stop. Now, I'm the kind of driver, chauffeur, I have a plan. I know you're not going to believe this, but I have memorized where the cheapest gas stations are on Interstate 81. And I made this statement 
We're 25 minutes from the exit that we need to stop at. And she said, okay. And we topped a little knoll on the interstate and all you could see for miles was cars. Men were playing football in the median strip. No lie. Am I telling the truth? They're playing football in the median strip. They have been here a while. People are tailgating, knocking on doors of the RVs. And my wife simply looked at me. I made the determination at that point that when she says we need to get off the highway, I'm getting off the highway. Because you never know what's a mile up the road. It is imperative. It is a privilege to be filled with the Spirit. But it's our duty to make that That father told that girl, he said, listen, this car has to have fuel, and I'm not doing it. If you read the Scripture, what it's saying is, you be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is your responsibility to put yourself in the place. Number one, what is my business? Being filled with the Holy Spirit. Number two, what is my business? Mind your own business, okay? What is it? Being filled with the Holy Spirit. Number two, to be a witness for Christ. God intends for every believer to be his witness. Police officers in our church sometimes get discouraged. I've talked to multiple police officers that have had this happen. They have a case all sewn up and everything is in place and ready to stand before the judge for the dispensing of the case. And they get there and the witness does not show up. And the witness does not testify. And because the witness does not testify, the case is dismissed. Now, I know that in a legal sense, and we're looking at folks that are in error in doing that. But understand this. It is our business to testify. You cannot be a witness without testifying. And being a witness is more than telling people about him. It revolves around our entire life. God help us to be Christians who our lives testify. Now, lest we sit back on our backsides and say, well, I believe in lifestyle evangelism and people can look at my life and see Christ. That's not what God said either. Our lives should testify of Christ. People should look at us and see a difference in us. Yes. Yes. We should testify by our lives, but we must also, it is commanded of us to testify with our words. Christians are commanded to spread the gospel at home and abroad. Just look at verse 8, and it gives us the space in where we are to testify and to be a witness. You shall be a witness for me. It doesn't say of me, for me. 
You shout it. In other words, we're going to witness of God. We're telling others. It's one thing for us to witness of our church or a program or something that we do, but that's not witnessing of Christ. Ye shall be witnesses of Christ. That is verbal and lifestyle. Number three tonight is this. It is our business to take the gospel to the uttermost part of the earth. Tonight in our prayer time, I mentioned, I got an email from Don Sisk this afternoon. He said, would you please, again, ask the church to pray for the country of Haiti. Not a lot of American press is covering what's going on there. You were here the first Sunday of January. Ron Maggard was here. Ron has an extensive work in Haiti. Ron text or message somehow got to me last Friday. And he said, please pray for our schools, our children, our churches in Haiti. They are all under attack. Now, here's what's happening in Haiti tonight. And that's why Brother Hibbert was praying this way tonight. There is a group that is seeking to overthrow the government and the president. It's basically two groups of people who have joined together. One of those groups is the drug cartel that, tra uh, that traffics narcotics throughout that area. They have told the president if he doesn't resign and step down and give government to them, that they're going to burn the country down. The roads around Port-au-Prince tonight are closed for 30 to 50 miles. Brother Kenneth has family members that, thank the Lord, just recently got out. They were on a mission trip there. Brother Sisk mentioned this afternoon in the email to me that uh, there are still 24 Canadian people there who are there on a missions trip, and they are bound inside of a house. They can't come out. They can't get to the airport to fly out. Someone created a GoFundMe page, $16,000 has been raised, and one group hired a private helicopter to come in, fly to the compound, pick them up, and fly them to the airport. Because these people have blocked the roads, they're burning tires and wheels, blowing up gas stations, doing all kinds of violence against the state. Ron told me last week, he said, pray for us, things aren't looking real good. The update on that now is many people have run out of fuel, Electric, electrical services have been cut in many areas, which has reduced the availability of water, and because people cannot travel and move about openly, food is in a shortage. So the basic necessities of life, the orphanages that you saw January 1st week on our screen here, all of those children have been now for one week inside the building. They cannot even go into the yard. But we have a witness there. In Papua New Guinea, last year, our Christmas missions offering, and I am amazed. I am just incredibly amazed at what God is doing through Bible distribution in one of the farthest points that we have missionaries. People are being saved by the hundreds, and a nation is being changed. We had $13,000 and some change. $3 a Bible 
Now every student through the eighth grade, within the next two months, they'll finish up the fourth through eighth grade. It's been opened up into the university. The government, the government of the nation is saying this. Get this. The King James Version of the Bible is having a tremendous impact on our country and on our people. Lives are being changed. And they're opening the doors for people. They're saying, come on in with the King James Bible. It is changing us. We read this morning of our missionaries through Rock of Ages prison ministry. Of prisoners that are being saved. Behind bars and incarcerated. Did you know that the, the place that we're seeing more conversions to Islamic faith in our country is not in mosques? It's in prisons. Our business is not prophecy. Our business is not, Lord, tell me when you're coming back. I have some things I'll probably do if I know when you're coming back. But the third thing is that our, our business is to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 begins with us being given power. We don't have power in and of ourselves to do this. We're given that power. And then it moves on to taking the story of salvation to the uttermost parts of the earth. It is our business to pray, to yield ourselves to the filling of the Holy Spirit. It is our place to take the gospel to the uttermost part of the earth. It is our business to make sure that we keep ourselves filled with the Holy Spirit so that whatever is down the road coming our way, we are prepared and ready. It is our business because it is a privilege to be filled with the Spirit, but it's also our duty to be. Listen, disciples. Mind your own business. It's not for you to know these things. Don't worry about these things. These things will happen when they happen. But this is, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, this is your business. You see to your business and I'll see to mine. You know when we were kids or when we have said that before, we've told somebody, you just mind your own business. What we literally have meant is this. You take care of your stuff and your things. And I'll take care of this. And what Jesus is saying to these men when he says this, it's not for you to know the times, the seasons. It's not for you to know about the day of return and the rapture. It's not for you to know all of that. It's not your business. But it is your business to be filled with the Spirit. It is your business to be a witness. It is your business to carry the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. So mind your business. Do what you're left to do. And God says this, let me do what I'm going to do. And I'll tell you this tonight, church. We'd, we'd be well off to let God do what he's going to do. And simply be satisfied to mind the business that he's left us. Three simple things. Let's pray together. Father, would you help us, please?